Welcome to The Calm Down. This week, my guests are two of my good friends who wish to be referred to only by their first names as they're sharing some anti-establishment opinions. Brianna is a poet who got her master's with me at the University of Virginia, and her husband, Patrick, has a master's degree in biblical and theological studies and teaches the Bible at a private high school. Brianna and Patrick are dedicated to questioning and exploring their faith in big ways, and today we'll talk about their changes of heart as young Christians, what the Bible says about homosexuality in its historical context, and how queerness just might help save the Christian faith. We've already covered the panic. Now, here's the calm down. All right, I'm here with uh, two of the most lovely people that I know, uh, my friends Brianna and Patrick, and they are a lovely little married couple who have a beautiful <laughs> child, and they, uh, I know Brianna from getting our master's degree in poetry together at the University of Virginia, and we used to uh, play ping pong together and just talk about <laughs> spirituality and our thoughts about faith and grace and all types of things like that. And it was one of my most cherished memories for sure. And then I met Patrick and we ended up playing a lot of intramural, intramural sports together, watching football and just talking about the Bible because we're all big Bible nerds and, and these two also <laughs> identify as as Christian. And so I wanted to, since this show has been a lot about like, look at all these terrible things that fundamentalist Christians have done, I just wanted to talk to my dear friends about sort of this this conflict between queerness and Christianity and whether or not it actually should exist or not. And so these two are going to talk today. Patrick has his master's degree in theological studies. He's got a lot to say on the Bible, and, and me and Brianna will definitely be popping in there because we also are, yeah, I think <laughs> have we have a all... lot to say. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you both so much for coming on. It's really great. Thanks for having uh, thanks us, for having Chelsea. Us. Yeah. And so I think the first thing I wanted to, to talk about is how making this episode for me was really taxing emotionally and I didn't necessarily expect that which is silly but I like to pretend I'm a real tough guy and that this stuff wasn't going to get to me <laughs> but part of part of doing this show is basically getting in the mindset of of the of your own other and so I wanted to, when I was at my lowest point I emailed uh, I emailed you Brianna and said I know that at some point in your life like these things were true for you, like these thoughts mm -hmm. and feelings were true for you. And you are like one of the kindest people I know. So I wanted you to kind of help me understand. And you did, you wrote me this very long email and I just was wondering if you'd be willing to share some of, some of that for you and, and kind of maybe how you came to terms with, um, with queerness and, and gay people as, as a Christian that, that was, uh, at one point sort of against those things. Yeah. Yeah. That was such a trip when you asked me to like go back into those memories and try to like, I don't know, like talk through what I was thinking at the time. Um, Cause it feels like I've been out of that world, like at least in my mind for my whole life, but you know, my junior high journals tell another story. So um, I, I remember getting this message about how homosexuality, um, and it was always just that at the time, that's like where it was left at, uh, is, you know, not, not acceptable, not okay. Um, with God, it's a sin and it didn't really come from my parents. So it didn't feel like, um, had that strong of a message, but it came from um, my Christian school. And I really, really identified as a passionate Christian. And so, um, I really didn't question it. Um, until my uncle came out to me, um, 
And it's so strange that I never put two and two together because like his partner was like my other uncle and it was very clear that they were together and like my whole life. <laughs> so I don't know. I was just really stupid. <laughs> can, I, can I add something? Yeah, to that? yeah, yeah. Yeah. My, my experience is actually really similar to that. The first time that I met Brianna's uncle, um, <laughs> he had, he had, uh, Brianna told me like, oh, just so you know, his partner is going to be at the dinner uh, that we're having. And so in my mind and right, this is can just show how sheltered and uneducated I was. It's like, oh, oh, business partner, of course. Yeah, you know, business partners all the time. They they come over for dinner. And then it was during that dinner that they were at one point like holding hands. And I remember my thought was just like, wow, they're really close friends. Like, that's so great that they that they could do that. It wasn't until like after the dinner party where Brianna asked me some questions about all that where I was like, oh. I, that would be like a major HR problem if your business partners were holding hands. Yeah. but I mean it just shows right like how how you just have zero context or knowledge that that even is a possibility on earth you know it's just so wild and it's totally separated like part of the problem for me was separating it from this realm of like what your religious convictions and like your beliefs about the bible are and like integrating that into just like the world like it like it was literally not a thing i expected to see in the world if that makes sense so i think um that's when everything kind of started changing for me uh like my uncle you know we had that conversation and he's not a christian um and so i didn't have this reaction like oh you know you're black sheep in the fold or something like that. I was just thinking like, oh man, like I still, just as before this conversation, like want to convert my uncle. And that was like the main like force, I think, of my thoughts towards him. And then over time, realizing how much his own sexuality had I mean, that was, I think, why, at least initially in his youth, he had left Christianity and wanted nothing to do with it was because of the way that people treated him and talked about him. And so that became a point of, um, I don't know, maybe my first like foothold in the, in, in like the whole conversation where I was like, whatever this is about, like people are being kept out of Christianity because of it. And you know, based on everything that we all say that we believe, that's not okay. You know, like that's so the the approach is wrong. And I think that's where things like started to shift is I was like looking for a way to change that. And so kind of on that note, I think I'll ask you, Patrick, I think it's really important. I didn't talk about this in the episode at all, but you know, there are a handful of passages from the Old and New Testament in the Bible that apparently condemn homosexual <laughs> acts, right? This is this is sort of a, a given to us, right? We just accept that this is true. We accept that these passages de- definitively mean this thing. I'm interested, Patrick, if you just want to like nerd out for us for a little bit and just talk, <laughs> talk about those talk about those passages and, and what you think and what other scholars think about them. So the, the majority of the passages that you see, like you find in the, the book of Leviticus, which is the third book of the Bible, a tons of laws for Israel that are written down to help Israel be kind of a distinct nation um, to, to live differently, to look different from the world and the cultures around them um, is kind of the whole purpose of the law. They were meant to be this light to the world in a way, like they, they would live and look different from the countries around them. And so in uh, 
I think it's like chapter 18 of Leviticus, you have uh, these passages that speak specifically against homosexuality. You also have passages in Leviticus that talk <laughs> about uh, wearing clothes of different fabrics. and Like rayon, not allowed. <laughs> not allowed. <laughs> yeah, and, and passages like, yeah, not having sex with a woman in her menstrual cycle and things like that. And so the church has no problem looking at some of those passages and saying, oh, yeah, that was for, you know, a time back there, back then. Um, but then when it comes to an issue like homosexuality, they kind of carry their understanding and they hold to that translation as we get to, you know, our world today, basically. Mm -hmm. And the question is why? Like why? I think that's what um, people who love to interpret the Bible and like wrestle with it are asking, like, why is it that we've hung on to this um, law when we rejected all the ones around it as being like frozen in time? You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week. And you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 and use code American and Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. That's what I get so pissed about is like, yeah, is like, how none of these politicians ever talk about the rich, really. Oh, they'll talk about the elites, but it's like, I don't know. They don't ever, like, they'll spend all this time talking about trans people and queer stuff, but they'll never, like, it's just like yeah. the Bible is very explicit about who the enemy is. Like, uh, and don't you think that's pretty on purpose, too? Like, it's like the whole point of the hysteria. Like, so you hype everybody up about this oppressed group. You, like, really inflame their sense of, like, sexual scandal and, like, make it really popular. And then nobody asks you why you're a millionaire and a Christian, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such an intentional distortion of the scripture, right? That's written from the perspective of the oppressed from, right. from Genesis to Revelation, right? You have, you know, the, um, the, the Israelites who were under the, the Egyptian empire and then the Babylonian empire, and then you get to the New Testament times and, it, and they're under the Roman empire and they're constantly in the state of oppression, no power. I mean, that's the perspective it's written from. Mm -hmm. And then we jump to today and you have people reading and interpreting it who are in, right, the, the, Majority biggest, in every sense. Exactly. Yeah. Biggest and strongest uh, place of power that you, you've had in, in world history, basically, mm -hmm. who are interpreting and saying, look at how oppressed we are. <laughs> look at how, and, and right, it is just a, it is just a distortion and a really an ugly turning of, of, yeah, this perspective from which uh, scripture was written. Yeah. And so that's, that just becomes the big question and debate in terms of interpretation and why in the church today, there's a pretty big split in terms of these things are meant to be, you know, time locked, or if these things are meant to extend to today, that's kind of the big question that different interpreters will ask. 
And what, what do you think? Yeah. So, so for me, I think that, uh, it's absolutely like the Bible is an ancient document that is <laughs> written in ancient times and will have absolutely ancient language and ancient understanding. But as we look to what we see, you know, kind of throughout scripture and we see revealed in the words of Christ and the ministry of Christ is we see a progressive understanding uh, of what that is. We no longer, you know, do things like practice slavery. We no longer <laughs> look at some of the passages in the old Testament that seem to promote genocide. We have Christ who explains and helps us understand things differently. The call we have to, to love others, to love our enemies, to lay our lives down for the sake of others. Yeah, really to show that ministry of love as being like the main ethic of scripture that you find. Mm. And so the question then that you ask in terms of um, queerness and, and, and relationships of that nature is if the ethic is love, isn't that what scripture is, is about? Isn't that what Christianity ultimately is about? The kingdom of heaven. Yeah. What about the, um, what about, is it Paul? Does Paul talk about homosexuality in the New Testament? He does. And so that's where, yeah, that's, this is where it gets a little more complicated in terms of if you want to defend um, a view of, you know, pro-queerness in Scripture as well. People will say, well, Paul talks about the New Testament. Doesn't that change things? The the question then is, well, what was homosexuality or queerness like in that time? And so, Well, for, specifically to Paul, too. Yes, yes. Yeah, specifically to Paul, like in terms of the context he was writing in. And so um, there's quite a bit of work done in terms of like, queerness during that time, what it looked like, of what, what Paul's like writing to and the language that he uses seems to have a lot to do with like the ancient cultural like temple practices of like relationships that really seem to have like this unbalanced power dynamic that's taking place. And so you see when Paul's writing about those things, there seems to be like uh, he uses the same language that he'll use in terms of like worshiping idols and stuff like that. And so it really seems like that there could be this set cultural issue that Paul is writing to and he's addressing something then did did Paul have in mind a a loving Christ-like you know relationship between two men or two women in mind who are equal in power and like you know like uh consenting like citizens yeah it doesn't seem like right that was any kind of like a reality for Paul and so for us today as we look back and we're reading some of these passages we have to understand well what kind of relationship or what kind of um yeah actions here is Paul uh, writing against. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people would argue like, yeah, we look back and we just don't have the same kind of understanding of, Mm -hmm. of relationships or love today that Paul did back then. And I think too, there's also room. I mean, you know, Patrick loves the Bible and like it Mm -hmm. like works that in, but I think there's room too for Christians like myself who like the Bible's cool, (laughs) you know, but it's not like everything. And so if there were some like definitive proof that Paul meant like, no, just really, I'm like, just don't, I don't think this is okay. I would just be like, well, you're just, you're just a guy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Paul, Paul's not perfect. I don't think. (laughs) Let's be real. yeah. So, yeah, I think I think that's an important clarification for me to hold as someone who teaches the Bible. Like to me, yeah, it's important. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe you try to, to bridge it. yeah to try to help like people understand like why I think it's still valuable for today. But for some who would basically yeah look at Paul's writings and basically be like, yeah, this is this is ancient and maybe not helpful at all. I'm just going to throw it out the window. I completely understand that. But for me, I think I try to do a little more work to help them. Yeah, still still hold to the or like to see the value of the Bible um, without having to just throw out words entirely to try to connect them a bit more. I re- what you're saying really reminds me of um, Eileen Pagel's writing, who I love so much. And she talks about I was reading a book kind of about I can't remember what it was called, but it was basically about sex and Christianity and the history of like 
Christians' relationship to sex at the time that the Bible was being written, especially. Mm-hmm. And and talking about how the Bible, like you said, it's a document that is being – you're writing against something. And what they were writing against, Eileen Pagel talks about, were the pagans, right? And a lot of pagan actions were – um, had homosexual stuff involved in them, but they also had like really terrible power dynamics where if you were a slave, you could just be assaulted at any time for any, re- you know, it, you had yeah. no value. And what yeah. Eileen Pagels talks about and what I think is really important because we talk about all of like the bad stuff that Christianity has done, but, and we are all like pagans, woo, like it's like fun, you know, <laughs> but in the, in reality, it wasn't fun for a lot of people under that <laughs> philosophy. But what Christianity did is it gave everyone intrinsic human value. So it didn't matter if you were a slave or a king, you were all sort of equal in the eyes of God. And that was a very radical message. But at the same time, these people were playing against the pagans, which meant that their sexuality, because the pagans was so overt and so over the top and so, um, so like, uh, (laughs) what what would be the word? Like indulgent, like to a point that was Mm -hmm. not not good probably and so they they (laughs) they kind of were writing against that extreme and became very um very celibate very um and that was weird in the time like people thought it was kind of a weird cult is what i've been reading about i just think that that you know you just don't think about that at the time and and what's actually happening because we just think oh it's divinely ordained words and so it's just but in reality it's a historical document you know Yeah, yeah for sure and I think like um, what you said really reminds me too of that. There's a passage in the New Testament that's um, you can tell me what book later. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, the Paul says there is neither now here in the kingdom of God there is neither male nor female, um, Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, which is like one of the passages that I still care about in the Bible because I mean, isn't that like that message is still very progressive today? It seems to me like there's no gender. It's we're all. We're not gendered. <laughs> wow, that would be amazing to like really believe that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, lots of other cultures, as we talked about in the episode, yeah. have felt that way. I mean, did you guys know anything about that? That the the fact that there were um, very queer indigenous no communities no, going on. No, it's not like you learned it in school, right? Absolutely and so, not. like now that when you said that on the podcast, I was like, okay, like going to my library and like searching for like all these terms to like try to figure out because I can't even imagine. Like, I just think it'd be so cool to see what that looks like in a culture. I know it's. It, I mean, I've been learning, yeah, just all about this. Like, just it, the, the differences are just so. The contrast is just incredible, and it's. I feel like it's really important, and I just feel like I should say just just for clarification that like the whole two spirit thing is like a beautiful thing, and mm. it's very specific to like yes. indigenous folks. And so, yeah. just in case that wasn't clear in the episode, I don't. I think it's important to you know say not like that, appropriate that's, it. <laughs> that's yeah. That's not our. Yeah. That's the, you know that's a specific identity, but that identity sheds so much light on this idea of like what is natural, you know. And yeah. I remember. A Anita Bryant was told, like, or, she, you know, she was saying it's just not natural, which was that woman from the 70s, that orange yeah. juice singer, you know, she'd say, it's not natural. And then, you know, people would say, well, actually, like, here's a bunch of evidence from, you know, from the animal kingdom, blah, blah, blah. And then she'd say, well, you know, like, it's not natural to God. And I just mm-hmm. find that so interesting, like this idea of just what is natural and what isn't. And what does that even mean? It's so bizarre. Anyway, I'm going on like a little bit of a yeah. tangent here. Well, can, I, can I add to that a little Please, bit? Please, yes. Yeah. So one of the things for me, like where this 
um, I began to yeah, really wrestle with this issue myself beyond just meeting Brianna's uncle was um, for the first time just hearing stories of people who were queer and who desired to be to be Christians, but didn't necessarily know how those things work together. Mm-hmm. And so I remember in particular reading one book and it just broke my heart because I'd never even like yeah, we take... didn't know about like conversion <laughs> therapy when we were like in the middle of this, you know, like that yeah. type of thing that anyway, that's yeah. what happened to but, this guy. Yeah. Well, and, and he just described every night. Um, so the, the, the guy's name is Justin Lee. His book is called Torn, which yeah, was was just a big book for me. But he describes every night um, basically praying to God and asking uh, asking for God to take away this quote unquote sin of his to take away his his homosexuality, his attraction to other men, because he he thought that he was broken. He thought that he was made wrong. And so he just described like basically his years from like 13 to 18. It was just night after night after night begging God to take this away in some way, shape or form, because every other part of his life, like he sounded a lot like me in the sense of, right, he's uh, he's part of your youth or youth groups. He's going to church on Sunday. He's like looked up to. He's doing all these things. But there was just this one aspect or element of his life that he um yeah, felt like it was an embarrassment to God or felt was just inherently wrong or sinful and couldn't ever, yeah, just, yeah, didn't know what to do. And, and basically mm-hmm. just prayer after prayer after prayer of trying to get rid of this, mm-hmm. this thing. And how do you guys reconcile being Christians among so many Christians that sort of <laughs> interact with Christianity and the world through Christianity in a very different way than you? Yeah, I think it's something where for both of us, we never quite know if it's the right thing at times. I think both of us have doubts about do we continue to hang on to you Christianity know, this part, at all? Yeah, this this part yeah. of our faith. And and so for me, as I've thought and wrestled with this a lot lately, especially being someone who teaches scripture and who teaches about the Bible and, and all these things, like I feel a little bit of a responsibility to um, my foundations as a person, right, to the kind of people that I grew up with and was around to to help better educate, to to help love them in, in the midst of all this as well. To mm-hmm. um yeah, I don't know. To me to me there's almost a sense of like responsibility and I guess true belief that like when we read the words of Christ, this call that we have to to love others, to to lay our lives down for their sake, to um yeah, to live in this kind of different fashion, to me it really presents a a beautiful way to live. Like I would guess I would say why I'm still a Christian is I think it's the best way to live, to put mm-hmm. others before yourself. Um, and so I think I hold on to Jesus in the midst of all the disparaging and disagreeing words about him, because I think that it really and truly is a beautiful way to live. Mm-hmm. And I think like for me, that the aspect of responsibility is now the biggest one, because like that was my world, you know, that was my foundation. That was what I like thought about the most in high school. I thought about God more than I think even you, babe. (laughs) And I love you. (laughs) But you know, it's like on my mind all the time. And I feel like walking away now, even though I disagree so much with what the Christian church, like at large is doing about everything. Um, it, it, it would feel, um, like cowardly, I think for me, because it's just like, so clearly I, I bought in so much for so much of my life. And it, I, I, yeah, I feel like I have to stay and be part of the Christian world still to kind of like help and try to like write the matter a little bit. You have talked about Brianna and I know you probably have talked a lot about it with Patrick, but this idea about, and I know you're reading a book about it too, but this idea yeah. that queerness can essentially in a way save Christianity as we know it. And I'm just interested in hearing what you've been thinking about around that. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, so this book that I, I'm reading this book right now called Queer Virtue by the Reverend Elizabeth M. Edmond. Um, and she's a queer priest and, you know, very like a theologian as well, has all this, you know, background and stuff. And this book is really wonderful. I would super recommend it for anyone who's like interested in this, uh, the way these two things come together. Um, but this is a quote of hers from the book. Um, I'm not saying that queer people are or must be Christian. I am saying that authentic Christianity is and must be queer. Rather, I mean queer as something that has at its center an impulse to disrupt any and all efforts to reduce into simplistic dualisms our experience of life of God. Um, and that's just in the intro, but like her argument or like her um, book goes on to say the whole point of Christianity was to disrupt binaries. The, one, the biggest one being life and death and mortal and divine being mutually exclusive, right? And then you have Jesus and that whole message was like, yeah, uh, humanity and the divine together in one body, fully, completely, both of them. And yeah, there's dying, but there's also resurrection. And there's this weird liminal space where it meets. And and a lot of her argument was that like when Christianity essentially, well, at least I don't know if this is what she says. This is what I say. I feel like when Christianity <laughs> sold out, you know, like to power essentially a long time ago, um, that part of the path of the Christian path was totally lost because it's something that can't be um, systematized. Like you shouldn't be able, you shouldn't have been able to have systematized Christianity, right? But somehow, somehow we did. Um, and so I think that's something that queerness as like a culture um, and even like in its experience of be, of like being on the margins and of um, well, just tons of things, <laughs> the way that it makes you like see life and, and, and get rid of dichotomies, I think is so important right now for the Christian church and also probably everyone. Um, and so I think that would be like the revolution that the church needs to stay alive is for queerness to take over. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that gave me goosebumps. Thank you. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was beautiful. Um, and I think on that note, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up here. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Chelsea. You're the best. You're the best. (laughs) This was American Hysteria's The Calm Down. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. My guests this week were the mysterious Brianna and Patrick, and this episode was produced by Clear Como Studios. Join me next week for the panics around teenage sex. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Friends, hello. I'm Mike Rignetta, the host of Never Post, a new and independent news podcast about and for the Internet. In addition to bringing you the latest in current events, we try to figure out why the Internet and the world because of the Internet is the way it is. How did influencers destroy tween fashion? What is posting disease and how do you ensure you don't catch it? From what device must one send important emails? We talk about what's going on online and ask together why. Why are we like this? Find Never Post wherever you get your podcasts.